You're listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel, Las Vegas. This is where real faith meets real change. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music to get instant notifications when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also check out our website, praisechapellasvegas.com, to check out some more information about us and see what's going on this month on our events calendar. Lastly, follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas. With that being said, listen up, because here comes the word. What I feel is very, 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 very important for the church. And it's something that I've titled Establishing Kingdom Culture. Amen? How many know God wants to establish his kingdom here on earth? Isn't that what the scripture tells us? All right. Amen. And you can see, so establishing kingdom culture, understanding how influential leadership is a vital or plays a vital role in establishing that culture. So today what I want to talk about is simply leadership. Is that all right? How many leaders do we have in the room? How many leaders do we have in the room? Everybody is a leader. You are influencing someone all of the time. Amen. How what we speak what we, what we do, what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say is influencing other people all around us, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's here in the church, whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's at a bank, whether you're at Costco or Walmart or whatever the case might be, how we conduct ourselves has an influence on those people around us. Would you agree with that this morning? So I want to help us understand this morning how does my leadership, influence the culture that I partake in. Is that fair? Is that fair? You ready to rock and roll? Amen, amen. (laughs) So Matthew 6, 9, you probably can't read that. Unfortunately, the font is a little small. But Matthew 6, 9 in your Bibles, it's the Lord's Prayer. How many are familiar with the Lord's Prayer this morning? Amen. The Bible says, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I actually studied this a little deeper a couple weeks ago, and it really just blew the top off my brain. Because the word hallowed here is actually what what the prayer is. And Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, or who art is in heaven, correct? Hallowed be thy name. It actually means this. May your name or may you be counted as holy. So how many in this place this morning count God as holy? You've made that declaration in your life. You count him as holy. You've made that decision. Yes, Lord, you are a holy God. You are a gracious God. You are a loving God. You are the one true God. You are that I am. Amen? There is no other God but you. There is no other God above you. You are the only God, the creator God, the loving God, the sustainer God, the protector God, the provider God. Amen? That's what that is saying, is let your name be counted as holy. And the only way we'll establish kingdom culture is when we've made that decision in our lives to count him as the one true and one only holy God. Amen? It's quiet. (laughs) Amen, amen. Let me turn this bad boy on. It's got to be on to work. So kingdom culture. So I want to ask a question. What is culture? 
does culture mean to everybody in this room? There you go, way of life. I like that. I like that. Upbringing has a big influence on culture, 100%. Anybody else? There you go. There you go. That's why hallowed be thy name. It starts with that, amen. I basically have broke down the idea of culture into this idea, the way we do things around here. Let's keep it simple. It's the way we do things around here, whether it's in your home, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, whatever the case might be, culture is simply the way you operate, the way we function as a community, the way we function as brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? Does that make sense? So it's really the way we do things, and we've got to keep this in mind. Culture is found in the doing. Culture is found in what we do, and I'm going to get into that in just a second. You cannot verbalize to people the culture of your church. It is experienced. How many would agree with that? How many have ever experienced the presence of God? Come on. How many have ever experienced the presence of God on somebody else's life, an anointing on somebody else's life as they bring edification, as they bring encouragement, as they bring a lift up, a word lifting you up and praying for you, praying for that miracle, praying for that victory, praying for that breakthrough, and you've experienced that kingdom culture. You experienced what God longs to do with his people to influence the way we do things in the church. Amen? That's the experience. So culture is something that we walk into and that we experience. We can see it. We can see how it functions, whether it's a healthy culture or whether it's an unhealthy culture. You can see it. Jesse and I went to TGI Friday last night, and I could see the culture. You could tell that they were way overwhelmed. Too many people, not enough servers. Not enough people, you know, picking up the dishes and and serving the food and refilling drinks. There was not one person in that restaurant walking at least 25 miles an hour. They were just zoom, zoom. Hey, we got carrots. You know, we didn't get our carrots. (laughs) You know, refills the whole night. But you could see it. I like, I look at things like that. I look at things like that. I want to understand what's the culture like around here because something's driving that culture. Something's driving that culture. Would you agree with that? It's not just people who are accidentally acting this way. This is on purpose. Something's driving that. Maybe it's the boss or the manager for that shift, and he doesn't like bringing too many people because he wants higher profits. Well, that's part of culture. He's creating that culture of chaos and hurry and and stress and frustration because he's cheap. Hello. He's worried more about overhead than he is about customer service. You see, we've got to understand that too. That people walk into this church and they watch. They're watching how people interact, shaking hands and, and hugging. And is there, a, you know, somebody over there maybe saying something that isn't edifying about another sister or a brother over here. And it damages the, the, the way someone would perceive the church or perceive the culture of the church. Does that make sense? So it's, whether it's good or bad, it's on full display. It's on display right now. As you came in this morning, the culture was on display. The way they do things around here was on display. And if there's something in our culture that needs to be changed, uh, change requires deliberate and intentional action. Would you agree with that? 
We aren't going to establish a healthy culture accidentally. It's got to be done on purpose, with intention, deliberately. Amen? And I love this quote. This is a quote I read the other day. Leaders champion the culture they desire every single day. What does it mean to champion something? It means you're carrying the torch. Amen? You're championing this culture. You're out there and making sure that whatever culture you want to see, whatever culture you want developed, whatever culture you want established, you're out there championing that culture and making sure you're planting seeds of culture. I want people praying for each other. I want people worshiping. I want people praising and exalting God, revering God, fearing God. This is the type of culture we want. So we've got to be the ones to plant those seeds and champion that because it's not going to happen by accident, and it's something that we do every single day. And finally, healthy people, healthy culture. Don't focus on changing the doing. Culture's in the doing, but if you change the person, then the habits and the, the practices and the behaviors will follow that change. I've changed considerably since the Lord got a hold of me. But it wasn't about him saying, Corey, it's the cigarettes or the dope or the way you speak to your wife. It wasn't the specifics. It was the heart. And when he got a hold of my heart and changed my heart and changed my perspectives and changed the way I view things and changed the way I view my wife and my children and myself and my future and my calling and my purpose, that's when all those other things fell off. Amen? Healthy culture, healthy influence. Culture... Like I said, influences people. When people come into this church, they're influenced by the culture that they walk into, good or bad. Your culture may, want, may, may lead people or compel them or influence them to stick, or your culture may influence or compel them to run away as fast as they can. And God holds us accountable for how we steward our culture. God will hold us accountable for how we steward our culture. Amen? And everybody in this room, whether you've been saved a day or whether you've been saved 50 years, you're a leader. And God is calling you to establish that culture. How many want everything that God has for this church? You want everything God has for this church, right? Look at it like a diet. You know, if you, I'm not on a diet. But, <laughs> you know, Garrett could speak to this. So, so <laughs> if, if there's a goal in mind, if there's a, an objective, I want that objective. I want to get there. That's my goal. That's my outcome. I want to get there soon, and I want to get there successfully. Aren't you going to try to get rid of every little thing that gets in your way to get to the objective? Amen? And if we want a healthy culture, if we want a healthy church, then we've got to be deliberate and intentional. And we've got to make sure that, hey, that's not good. Not good for the culture. Not good for the culture. Matichi, oh, not good for the culture. You see what I'm saying? We've got to be able to do that. Amen? So here we go. I want to jump into how one thing leads to another. An establishing a kingdom, kingdom culture is going to start with what? Revival. Why? Well, Jesus said it. Jesus replied, Very, verily, verily, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? 
born again. I can't establish a culture I can't see. I can't establish God's will, God's plan, God's purpose, God's direction, God's destiny. I can't establish any, I can't even begin to work on those things until he brings life back to this mortal body. So any, any kingdom culture is going to start with revival. It's going to start with God putting his spirit inside of you and bringing you back to life, opening your eyes, opening your ears, opening your mind, opening your heart to receive what? Hello. God's building this culture, not us. We're just his vessels. But we're important. And we can either be effective in seeing that culture accomplished or we can actually hinder that culture from being accomplished. Amen? Check out this next scripture for revivals. 1 Corinthians 2.12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is what? From God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So revival gives us the ability to not only receive what God has given us, but for us to begin to even understand it. I know before I got saved, I didn't understand God's ways. I didn't understand God's will, God's desire, God's purpose, the gospel, his, whatever it was, it didn't make sense to me. It wasn't until the spirit came and said, bam, and he was like the decoder. You know, have you ever seen binary ones and zeros and ASCII code in computers? We don't understand it until you learn it, Right? Same thing. We can't decode in, our, in and of ourselves uh, the things of God, the voice of God, the message of God. He's got to send his spirit to make those things real to us, uh, to make them understandable to us. I didn't know how to love my wife before I got saved. I thought I loved her. It was my definition of love. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. She knows I love her. I don't ever tell her. I don't ever do anything, but she knows. That was, it's probably more than just my way of thinking. Anybody else? I mean, come on, B.C., before Christ? We have this weird way of understanding love. It's just this assumption, yeah, we're good, we're in love. What have you ever bought her or done for her or taken her? Nowhere. She just knows I'm here and I love her. God has to change that way of thinking, amen? So it starts with revival. Revival brings with it what? Revelation. Revelation is key. Why? Because with revelation, we will not cast off restraint. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. It means they do whatever they want. There is no boundary. There's no direction. There's no guidance. It's just people fleeing and doing whatever they want where there is no revelation, where there is no voice of God speaking to the people, where there is no direct connection with God and his ways, his glory, his truth, his righteousness, then the people cast off restraint. They don't have that, that, that nurturing spirit to lead and to guide the way they need to be um, guided and led. Amen? It's like our children. Imagine if you didn't father your children. How would they learn? How would they learn if we just let our children do whatever they want? Fortunately, we live in a society where we're almost there. Amen? We have got to understand that revelation is important. What does revelation bring with it? Well, vision. 
Does this church have vision? Does this church have vision? Amen. Check it out. Matthew 6.10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a vision. See, we need to understand and buy in with God. And what God says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Right here as it is up there. That's the culture, the culture that exists in heaven right now as we sit in this room. The very culture that exists up there. A culture of praise, a culture of worship, a culture of of love and intimacy. A culture of of reverence and a culture of of joy and peace and, and happiness. Fulfillment is the same culture God wants right here in the church. It's what he wants here. And that's the vision. The vision is God, use me in any way where I can pull your kingdom down from heaven and begin to establish your kingdom right here among the people. And when people walk in, it's like they're walking into heaven. It's like they just open the door and bam, this is what church is supposed to be like. This is what the gathering is supposed to be like. This is what people are supposed to be like. Too many visitors that go, I'm going to church, just like the world. Back to the world. I'm just being real. Should the world walk into the church and see something different? And who is the church? So who has to be different than the world? All right, I'm glad we established that. Amen? There should be a culture shift. When I get off of work and I'm ready to go to church on a Sunday morning, there should be this this culture shift that happens. I know I'm bringing culture with me because I'm saved and I'm, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. And I am a part of that culture and I'm bringing to increase a culture. But if you're unsaved, you're leaving a certain culture into another culture. And it should be significantly different. It would be like going from America to Asia. You get off the plane in Asia, you're going to be like, whoa, Asia, different culture. You should be culture shock when new believers or people who are unsaved walk into the church. They should have culture shock. Like this is nothing like the world. I'm not loved this way out there. I'm not encouraged this way out there. I'm not edified this way out there. I'm not uh, prayed for this way out there. I'm not cared for this way out there. There's something different here. What's going on? Why is it different? Because God is in the house. Bethel. You guys know Bethel, right? Jacob's ladder. Angels ascending and descending. You know, God doesn't want to come visit us on Sundays and then leave the building. He's here. This is, his, this is his home. He rests and resides here. This building isn't empty when we come in and then we call down his presence. His presence is here as soon as those doors are unlocked. You walk into that presence. Am I making sense this morning? So vision, then mission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's mission. 
That's the mission of the church. The mission is to win, to build, to send. It is to go and make disciples, to baptize, to teach. How can we have other people coming and contributing to the culture if we're not discipling men and women? The next one is Matthew 25, 36. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. That's another mission of the church. That's another uh, virtue that we should be uh, showing and displaying and acting in every single day. Care for somebody else. Treating others above myself. Bearing with one another in love. So it's not only discipleship, it's not only teaching and baptizing, but it's also showing forth the fruits of God's spirit. Here's some more issues. Core values. What's the difference between a core value and a priority? Core values never change. Priorities change. Priority means it's important right now, but if... I might shift that priority. It's priority number one right now, but, you know, if the finances aren't there, we may not buy that car. Car's a priority, but I think rent is a higher priority. (laughs) I want a place to live (laughs) before I have a car. So priorities change based on your present circumstance. Core values never change, and core values should never be compromised. If you look at the scripture, it says in Matthew 10, 42, whoever wants to become great among you must Be your servant, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. This is a core value. Jesus Christ would never compromise this core value in his life. He would never say, I'm having a bad day. I can't serve you. I'm serving myself today. He would never go against his own character, his own makeup, his own nature. It's a core value that he serve, and it's a core value that you and I serve. When people walk in and they see that culture, it should be a culture of service. A culture of, it's not about me today. It's about serving you today. Matthew 5, 3, 12 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker, the persecuted, the insulted, and the falsely accused. That doesn't sound fun, right? But those are our core values. That's the Beatitudes. That's Jesus teaching people, hey, it's about core values, not what you do, but who you are. And we have to have a values-based culture, not a performance-based culture. The Pharisees and the religious, they were performance-based. And Jesus called them out on it. Your cup, man, nice and clean on the outside, but it's filthy on the inside. You perform well. You pray in public. You fast in public. You give in public. But you only do it so people can see you. It's performance-based. You don't value those things. You only do it so you can receive honor and praise from men. They're not core values in your life. And God's not looking for a performance-based church. He's looking for a values-based church. I give because I value giving. I pray because I value praying. I, I fast because I value fasting. I serve because I value others. I praise God because I honor and I value and I adore and I, and I exalt that, that incredibly kind and merciful God. 
It's about who we are, our values. Please, if you're not serving God because you've got these core values in your life, just pray to God and say, God, change my heart, change my mind. Come and jack me up. Let your love come down and change and radically transform my life. Because right now, it is performance. Right now, I'm a great actor. I go to church and I put on this this play and it's not even who I am because as soon as I get home, I'm somebody totally different. It's all performance-based. God wants a values-based culture. That's why he said, he said it very clearly about adultery. He says, you know, you say don't commit adultery. And I say, don't even look at another woman in that way. Because in that sense, you've already sinned before you even did the act. He's looking for our heart. He wants us to value our wives in a way that we love them and value them and appreciate them so much that we wouldn't even cast our eyes on another woman. But he had to make that clear because everybody else thought, well, as long as I don't murder somebody, I'm okay. Oh, wait, Jesus says. If you even hate your brother, you're already falling short of my glory. It's values-based, not performance-based. We've got to allow God to get a hold of our hearts. Amen? And then spiritual fruit comes through revelation. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That all comes through revelation. Revival, revelation, the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit shown forth in my life in the midst of the congregation and creating and influencing and establishing this kingdom culture through the fruits of the Spirit. Amen? And with revelation, well, now we're going to need some committed leaders because God's given you something. What are you going to do with that talent? You see, God wants to use us to establish this kingdom. God wants to use you and me and us and this congregation and this body of people to establish this culture so we entrust vision. He entrusts mission. He entrusts core values. He entrusts the fruits of the Spirit for us to go now and be committed to those things. Am I making sense this morning? We need leaders who are committed to the mission. We need leaders who are committed to the vision. We need leaders that are committed to the fruits of the Spirit in their lives and committed to the core values that that God has placed there as he transforms them through the power of the Spirit. And committed leadership, this is what we do. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That's a lot of ends. But he's saying, do what? Set an example. Committed leaders exemplify the mission. They exemplify the the calling. They exemplify the vision. They exemplify core values. They exemplify the fruits of the spirit. They are good examples. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul the apostle says, follow me as I what? Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm the example. I am going to be someone who gives good exampleship to the things of God, to the conduct that God uh, has us to live by. Thessalonians 2.7, be an example by doing what is good. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Exampleship. You know, in construction safety, if a superintendent walks into a room 
and somebody's not wearing their safety glasses because it's actually an expectation. That superintendent doesn't say anything, walks out of that room. What did he tell that employee? He said it's okay. What you don't say influences behavior. What you do say influences behavior. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow Christ in the way that I do, in the manner that I follow Christ. You too, in that same way, follow Christ as well. Amen. So exemplify. Next, encourage. Philippians 4.9. Whatever you have learned and received and heard from me, Paul says, and seen in me, put these things into practice. So now Paul isn't only exemplifying the things of God or all of the revelation that we talked about. Now he's actually encouraging it. Follow me as I follow Christ. Oh, and by the way, those things that I taught you, those things that I placed in you, those things that I've done before and you've seen in me, you do them too. He's encouraging the same practice. So leaders need to exemplify and encourage. We also need to measure, Pastor Art. First Thess 4.1, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact, what? You are living. So isn't Paul measuring there? He's taking the temperature of the church. Hello. He couldn't say even as you are living if he didn't take a glance. Paul knew he would be held accountable for the culture of the church. And he knew, I better exemplify it. I better encourage it. And I better measure it. Because when I measure it, I better recognize it. Recognition is a key. Look at what 1 Corinthians 4, 17 For this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Is that recognizing Timothy's faithfulness? I'll tell you right now. This is something that is kind of counterculture for churches. Where leaders in the church don't want to recognize this way because they think it's going to puff people up. But God is very clear that recognizing a faithful man will only encourage that faithful man to additional faithfulness. Because nothing is more aggravating than to be faithful and to plow and to plant and to serve and to never be sent. Can we see that in that scripture? For this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He's recognizing uh, the, the faithfulness of Timothy by sending him to do the Lord's work in another region. That's recognition. And finally, bear with me on this one, okay? This one's going to hurt. You ready? We can't tolerate anything other than what God has revealed to us. We don't like this idea, but it's true. If we're going to establish kingdom culture, don't I have to measure, recognize, and say, oh, no, that's not good. Out of here. Look what the scripture says, Titus 1.13, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will what? Be sound in their faith. Sound means correct. I want to be correct in my faith. I want to serve God the right way. I want to serve God according to his plan, his will, his direction, his holiness, his righteousness. And if there's something in my life that isn't according to sound doctrine, then I need someone like Pastor Art to say, hey, that doesn't line up. That isn't correct. That goes against God's nature. It goes against, it falls short of God's glory. 
And we can't have that in our culture because new people will come in and they'll be influenced by that which is not of God rather than that which is of God. Am I making any sense here this morning? 1 Corinthians 5, 8 says, your boasting is not good. You see, what is he doing there? He's not tolerating it. Your boasting is not good. He's measuring. He's recognizing. He recognizes it. This is not according to God's will. This is, this is falling short of his glory, this boasting. So he says, your boasting is not good. And it's not going to benefit what we're trying to do here. Does that make sense? So we've got to understand that we need to be ready for rebuke. Because I'm not perfect. You know who my biggest rebuker is? <laughs> I'll put her on the spot. <laughs> my lovely wife. She knows me better than anybody. Even when I prepare a sermon, are you doing this for yourself? Are you sure this is a word from God? I love it. Puts me in check. We need to be put in check. Especially men. <laughs> men, you know, we're kind of woohoo, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs sometimes. So committed leadership, committed to what? Committed to vision, committed to the mission, committed to core values, and committed to the fruits of the Spirit. We've got to exemplify those things, encourage those things, measure and recognize and not tolerate anything less if we're going to have kingdom culture established in this church. And so what does this leadership commitment do? Well, check this out. It influences the hearts and minds of believers. It says in Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember, the scripture says, remember your leaders let what your leaders exemplified, let what your leaders encouraged, let what your leaders measured and recognized and did not tolerate, remember that stuff and imitate their way of living. Look and see how that faithfulness to God has changed their life. See the impact and the difference that the word of God and obedience has made in their life. That's why we need committed leaders because we're influencing those around us. Amen? We're influencing those around us. So what are we influencing? Well, let's jump in. We're influencing perspective. What's the definition of perspective? A particular attitude towards or way of regarding something or a point of view. Do you want people's perspective of this church or the way they view this church to be proper? Do you want it to be healthy? So who is actually going to demonstrate culture here, the walls or the people? What do we desire? What do we want? In Philippians 3.15 it says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Speaking of Paul. If you read that in context, it talks about all the things that Paul threw away. He says, man, I was the chief sinner. I was a Pharisee. I knew the word. I was the man back in the world. He goes, but you know what? I count it all. It's loss. And what do I do? I forget the past and I press on to what's ahead, to what's before me. I want to apprehend the very thing God apprehended me for. That should be our 
attitude in regards to our perspective. Philippians 2.5, in your relationship with one another, that's right here, let this mind be in you as was also in Christ Jesus. That's talking about service. You see, we have to have the right perspective. But let me ask you a question. We know the Lord wants us to serve, right? And what if none of the leaders serve? What's my perspective going to be as that Philippians uh, 2.5 says, in your relationships with one another, let this mind be in you as was also in Christ. I'm not going to see that mind. It's not going to be on display. It's not going to be part of the culture. There's not going to be any service in the culture. It's going to be a me, 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 me. What do I get? What do I want? What do I obtain? Where's my increase? Does that make sense? So have the mind of Christ is what the Word of God says. Think like this. Let your per perspective is all about point of view. Are you looking at it over here? Or are you looking at it over here? Are you looking at it correctly? Or are you looking at it incorrectly? How many, when you first came to God, understand Scripture much better now, and let's say it's been five years. How many have been saved five years? Five years. Is your view of the Word of God and the view of the nature of God and His holiness and His glory, has it changed over five years? Your perspective has changed, right? And that's through the reading of the Word, through prayer, through praise, through worship. And it's also through this church. Amen? So we're committed leaders. We're encouraging and exemplifying. Why? Because we're shaping perspective. Am I making sense this morning? Next is assumption. This is a bad one. How many know assumption is not good? How many, including me, think too much? That's a problem of mine. I think way too much. I overanalyze. And I come to conclusions and assumptions that aren't real. I create this fantasy world in my mind that doesn't exist and I'm the only one that lives there. Just me? That's awesome. Nobody else? Okay, let me talk about families. How many have families here? I don't understand why families can't get along. It's so crazy. <laughs> But what happens is, is we have this opinion about somebody, and if that somebody does something, we already judge their intent. I know why they did that, because I know them. And I don't like them, because I know them, and I know why they did that. And now your relationship with that person, you, it can't be cultivated, because you've built your own prison in your own mind that you live in, and it's a fantasy world prison, because the, the facts that you think you know aren't really facts at all, but you live by those fantasy facts, and it actually affects the reality that you live in. Your fantasy world has an effect on your real world. Assumption is we could, we, could, we could do a revival on assumption. But look what Paul says and how he deals with assumption. He says, 2 Timothy 3.10, you, however, know all about me. It goes a little further than that. He goes, you know the way I preach. You know the way I lead. You know the way I encourage. You know the way I live for God. I am above reproach. Amen? It's called Transparency. And when we don't get around our pastors, what happens in our brain? Assumptions. And those assumptions are that prison. And that prison does what to us? Causes us to walk right out the door. Because we see a pastor that doesn't even exist. Only in our own mind. 
And Paul says, if you want to know me, get around me. Don't stay afar off and hear and see from a distance because you're going to come to your own conclusions. And those conclusions may be false. And you may judge your pastor for that and walk out the door because you never really knew him. Hello. Look at the next scripture. Titus 2.8. Be above reproach so that anyone who opposes us will be ashamed to have nothing to say bad about us. Don't give the world a reason to talk smack about this church. You see, because they're going to assume anyway. They've already got their own ammunition to throw at the church. We don't need to give them any more, you know, ammunition. Here's some more, you know, shells. <laughs> or here's some more ammo. Here's a whole ammo can. Shoot it at the church. Amen? He says, be above reproach so that anyone who opposes us will be ashamed to have nothing, no ammunition, nothing to say. We don't want the world's assumption of this church to be a negative one because then they'll never walk in and they'll never want to know the God you serve. Don't give them a reason to assume. Don't give them a reason to say, ah, I know that church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, I know that church. They did that thing over there one time. Didn't make any sense. We can't give the, the world a reason to have some type of assumption about us as a church. That's why he says live above reproach. That is to live above a, a way of living that could bring accusation back to me. Does that make sense? Kind of like if you know, you know, Billy Graham says he'll never get in an elevator with another woman. He'll never, you know, eat at a restaurant with another. If there's, if there's a woman around, he's like, ah, I got to get out of here. I don't want anybody to think anything. But you were in that elevator for two minutes. What'd you do for two minutes? I know you, Billy. You act all holy, but two minutes, that's a long time in an elevator. You know, people, though they may not admit it, they want what we have. But sometimes they just don't enter in because they're not even sure if we're real yet. You know, we still have family members like that. Even 15 years into the game, still waiting for us to do. Fall out of grace. And, and just really critical of my wife and I. Oh, look, they're fighting. Of course. Hello, it's a marriage. I thought you were a Christian. I am. We still fight. But they want to use that as ammunition against you. Like, you're not saved. You're not changed. You're not transformed. You're not changing because you still do these things. Yeah, it's called life kind of. But my point to this is that they want to assume. The world wants to assume. And we can't give them a reason to assume because they're going to make up enough reasons on their own. They're going to find, if I could find, I could find plenty. Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> Even this, <laughs> this way too. We can all find plenty. We all look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning. Amen. 
Assumption, I'm sitting here for a little while, but assumption is a church killer. It's a destiny killer. It's a calling killer. It's an anointing killer. A believer's heart and mind is also where we shape our beliefs. 2 Timothy 3.14, it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Are you convinced yet? Are you convinced yet? You see, leaders, committed leaders have a responsibility in what they exemplify, what they encourage, what they measure, what they recognize, what they tolerate. We're shaping and we're influencing what other people are convinced of, their beliefs, good or bad. I don't believe that church has good intentions. I don't believe that that person actually loves the Lord. Amen? And our beliefs can become jacked up and corrupted if we don't have solid leadership that are doing these things. 1 Corinthians 15, 11, whether then it is I or they, Paul speaking of him or the other apostles, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. See, Paul, Paul, I love Paul. In that one sentence, he talks about, I know what I'm committed to as a leader. I know the mission, the vision. I know the beatitudes. I know the, the, the fruits of the spirit that live within me, and I exemplify, and I encourage, and I measure, and I recognize, and I make sure I rebuke when I need to rebuke. So he's saying, so whether it's me doing that or somebody else, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. He understands that what I do may encourage or compel somebody else's belief. Your sister, your brother, Jesse's sister is coming to our church now. This is like a miracle for us. Not to say Cece's a bad person. She's not. She's a great woman. But when your sister comes to your church, that's like, man. Because that's what we're, don't we want to reach our families? We want to reach our families. When your family starts coming, man, you're just... Praising the Lord, amen? So beliefs and then desires. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Desire this. Pursue this. Hunger for this. Thirst for this. Those things that I've given you. Continue to desire them. So when we as committed leaders make sure that we do what we're supposed to do as leaders, we're shaping the hearts and minds of the people. And why? Because we're actually going to shape and, uh, that, that heart and mind is going to lead to their conduct or the way they behave. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, 2 says, Now I commend you for remembering me in everything and for maintaining the traditions just as I pass them on to you. You see, leadership, influencing a heart, influencing a mind. Now my heart has changed. My mind has changed. It's correct. It perceives things correctly. My perspective is correct. My assumptions are correct. My beliefs are correct. My desire is correct. So what happens? My conduct changes. Does that make sense? Virtue or behaviors, 1 Corinthians 15.2 says, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So do this. Virtue means to, 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 it's, it's a high morale. It's a, it's a morality that's holy and high and lifted up. I posted on Facebook the other day that virtue is, is subjective without a one true and holy God. Because virtue is basically holy living. But if there is no one true and holy God, what is holy? 
It's subjective. Your idea of holy is different from your idea of holy. Your idea of holy is different from your idea of holy. That's why we serve God. If we don't have a moral compass, then immorality rules. So our virtues and our behaviors are shaped by our heart, by our mind. Acts 24, 16, in this hope, I exercise myself always to have always a conscious void of offense towards God and towards men. Virtue, behavior, my conduct being shaped by my heart and by my mind. And also practice, Philippians 3, 17, join one another in following my example. Brothers, and carefully observe those who live according to the pattern we set for you. God, Paul wants this to become the way they, they're practiced. Have you ever heard the term practicing sin? Right? What do we, when, when you hear the term practicing sin, what does that mean? It means that they're sinning habitually. Sin after sin after sin after sin. Well, you know, we can also practice righteousness. We can actually do things right over. <laughs> it's actually possible. Over and over and over and over again. Join one another in following my example. Practice this. And carefully observe those who live according to the pattern. Observe, see? There it is again. Watch them. Let them influence you. Let them influence your heart and your mind. Let your heart and mind become your conduct. And finally, culture. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's culture. Shows you there. It's going to be a little different than the world, isn't it? A little different than the world. It says be not of the world. Don't, don't follow their patterns. Don't follow their culture. Don't follow their way of living. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may show, that you may demonstrate what is that perfect, acceptable will of God. That's the culture God's looking for. That, that culture or that kingdom that is according to his will and purpose. Amen? Which is ultimately the way we do things around here. So I want to break this down. In one more slide here. We started with revival, but God brings revival for what? Reformation. God's trying to reform culture. He's trying to take the, cult, the world's culture and actually bring his kingdom down. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. That, that, that culture in heaven, bring it down right now. That's reformation. But you play a role in reformation. We can't just sit on our hands and wait for revival and wait for reformation. God's using us. He's given us mission. He's given us vision. He's given us the Beatitudes. He's given us those core values. He's given us the fruits of the Spirit. Now go establish a culture. Live it out. Be about the doing. Because culture is experienced, not talked about. I tell our senior execs at, 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 at work all the time, hey, look, guys, you guys can talk about vision and goals. Oh, we believe in safety. We believe in safety. We believe in safety. If you don't get out there and exemplify that and encourage that and measure that and recognize that and not tolerate anything less, you're just blowing smoke. And the church, 
We can't talk, we can't have our pastor's meetings and be like, I'm a pastor at a meeting. We're going to talk about vision and mission. We're going to talk about core values, man. We're really going to talk about some important stuff. But I don't take that back to my church and plant that into my culture and actually be about what I talk about. Does that make sense? So Reformation, check this out, 1 Peter 2.5. Like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love the book of Hebrews. I want to, <clears throat> excuse me, the First Peter, but Hebrews as well, the holy priesthood. Read that book, it's incredible. But look at, like living stones, who's a living stone in this room? Who are living stones? You see, God is doing a comparison in the scripture and saying you, like a building, like a brick and mortar building, you too are a living stone that God is using to build his church. But you're a living stone, not a dead stone, not a piece of drywall or a piece of wood or a piece of stucco. You're a living stone. You are the building. You're a living stone, a living piece of the building God is trying to build. So let yourself be built into a spiritual house. Not a brick and mortar house, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Holy, watch out. If we want a holy culture, we better be a holy people. Amen? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So acceptable and unacceptable. There are things that are acceptable and unacceptable. Amen? It says acceptable sacrifices. Is obedience a type of sacrifice. We know the Bible talks a little bit about obedience being better than sacrifice, but obedience is a form of sacrifice. Would you agree with that? I'm giving you. I am the sac I'm going before you God. I give myself away to you. I it's no longer about me, my will, my desire, my passion, my future, my goals, my objective, and now it's all about you. I'm bringing myself to you. But let's make sure it's acceptable. So reformation. Now I want to close with this. This is everything we talked about, but I want to put it all together to try to make it make sense in our mind about revival. So we need revival for establishing kingdom culture. Would you agree? Got to have revival. We got to be woken up. Because some, you know, we were sleeping. And the word's very clear. Unless you're born again, you cannot what? See the kingdom of God. I can't establish what I can't see. So revival brings about revelation. And with revelation, we get what? We get vision, mission, core values, and spiritual fruit. What do I do with those? Well, I, I give them to committed leaders. And committed leaders follow these things by what they exemplify, encourage, measure, recognize, and what they tolerate. If you tolerate sin in your church, you're going to have a sin culture. You tolerate sin in your church, you're going to have a sin culture. And people are going to come in and go, oh, we can do that? Cool. I didn't know. I can still have a foul mouth. I could go in many directions with that one, but are we, did that make sense? <laughs> Amen. So what do we tolerate? What do we recognize when we measure and encourage and exemplify? Committed leadership, why? Because we're trying to influence what? A believer's heart and a believer's mind. We're trying to shape perceptions, assumptions, beliefs, and desires. Why? Because we're trying to get to their conduct, their free will to do what they please. As a leader, you're only required and you're only accountable for your influence. But you're still accountable for your influence. 
We can't just say, do it. Why? Because I said so. That might work at home with our kids. <laughs> but it doesn't work in the church. Am I making any sense today? So a believer's conduct, we're trying to engage that free will. We're trying to engage and, and, and tap into this decision-making process of a believer by tapping into their heart, tapping into their mind through follow me as I follow Christ. You know all about me. There should be no assumption. You know the pers perspective. I've given you and taught you the word. You've seen my example. I've taught you. I've led you. I've been an example. I'm trying to tap into your heart, tap into your mind. Why? So you will follow me in the manner that I follow Christ. He's, he's influencing. But that's all Paul's responsible for. At the end of the story, you know, Paul's not going to be judged because somebody didn't follow Christ. Paul's going to be judged for his influence. That's all he's going to be judged for. How did you influence? Oh, you don't get that crown. <laughs> we are all influencers here. And we're either going to be bought into this process, bought into this church, bought into this culture, and saying, you know what? God's got more for us. And God's trying to do something in the world. And we want this culture to get so hot that it just expands and takes over the city of Las Vegas. I didn't hear a big hooray there. But why, why is the kingdom culture so small and the world culture so big? They're winning the, they're winning the war. It's like they're, they're pushing in on our culture. We see less of the church culture in the world and more of the world's culture in the church. And it's like as we push and they push and we push and they push, you know, it, you don't have to try to be of the world. We're born that way. You don't have to wake up in, this, in the morning and say, I'm going to be a bad person. You kind of are. <laughs> but establishing kingdom culture, that takes intention. That takes purpose. That takes drive. That takes will. That takes passion. That takes, that takes resources. That takes all of our energy to make sure that we live according to the word of God and we fight this stank flesh every single day that wants us to go somewhere else. The word of God says the spirit is willing, but the flesh, it's very weak. So be careful. You might will to do something, but that flesh is going to try to stop you. Hey, when you pray with me, pray with me for one hour. Is that okay? Can you pray with me? Yes, Jesus, we'll pray with you. All right, I'll be back. He comes back, and what are they doing? They're sleeping. And Jesus says, hey, be careful that you don't fall into temptation because I know you had a willing spirit to pray, but that stank flesh, whoo-hoo, you were asleep. You've got to fight the flesh because you're not going to want to always do it. A believer's conduct, virtues and practice. And that ends up being what? The culture that we have, reformation, the way we do things around here. Final question. Does our culture reflect the culture God has revealed? Does this culture right now at Praise Chapel Las Vegas reflect the culture that God has revealed through his word. And if not, if what God has revealed doesn't, doesn't line up with the way we do things around here, we've got to figure out what's broken from a leadership standpoint. What's broken? Where are we missing this? I think you have committed leaders. I think you have leaders that want to encourage, exemplify, measure, 
recognize and not tolerate anything that falls short of God's glory. I believe that's established. And that leadership has influenced the perceptions and assumptions and beliefs and desires of the people. Get close to your pastors. Get close to your leaders. Get close to each other. Know each other. Be transparent. Don't hide anything so people can't assume. And allow what you assume and what you perceive. Let that become your virtue and your practice, your conduct. And that will become the culture that's established, the kingdom culture that's established here at Praise Chapel. Does that make any sense at all? Now, there's other things that go into establishing culture. The Holy Spirit is for you. That is like the, the main thing. But just because we have a Holy Spirit in every single one of us doesn't mean I'm not responsible for influencing you. I know you have the comforter in you. I know you have 